Well, the reading is from Matthew's Gospel from the beginning of chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but in every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. It's good to be with you tonight. As I was, uh, as I was getting ready to preach this sermon, uh, Dave sends out the passages and he sends out the sermon titles to us. And so uh, then I had this, so I had this sermon title, and then I uh, and then I had the, uh, <clears throat> not just the sermon title, but then they had this, this passage, this sort of epic passage where Jesus does battle with the, with the devil. Jesus engages with the enemy in an in, in epic battle. And so it was really funny because I was kind of looking for this picture of sort of good versus evil and kind of an epic picture. And I found this picture, which is, it's Gandalf fighting the Balrog in Moria. And many of you guys know this episode from The Lord of the Rings. And um, it, it, it's just, it really struck me. And then I put the title of the sermon on it. And it just like struck me that true worship is something that happens in the midst of a battle. Often we think of true worship as happening in a place like, uh, like, like in a cathedral or in a church service like this or on a mountaintop. You get to the top and you're looking out from, you know, Ben Lomond across that beautiful view, Loch Lomond and all those, you know, and you just like, in your heart just kind of fills with worship or praise. Or you're just on your, you know, you're just kind of in a still quiet place. But the truth is actually often worship happens in a place of difficulty in battle and, and, and maybe our truest worship happens when there's conflict and it isn't easy. And, and another reason I'm, I was, as I was just over the weekend thinking about this picture, I think sometimes we tend to make evil no big deal. But it just, every once in a while something happens and it reminds us that there's like real genuine evil in the world that is destructive 
and awful and rips people's lives apart. And it's very real. And when Jesus fought the devil, he wasn't just fighting some sort of, you know, some sort of spiritual battle about the rules, about how long the hem of garments could be or what time they should have worship in the temple. Jesus was preparing himself. Jesus was in the midst, engaged with an enemy who wants to destroy lives. And Jesus was preparing him for himself for a ministry that was going to change the world. Jesus was about to embark on ministry that would change the course of history. And so what's happening here is, it's, uh, it, it, it's an interesting thing to think about this. So just want to set the stage a bit. So first of all, worship happens in the midst of a battle. Second thing is, I just want to make this as a side note, true worship isn't necessarily um, about getting our form right, but it's having the heart of a worshiper. Jesus said, I'm looking for people who want to worship in spirit and in truth. So if you want to have true worship, what you really need to become is a person who's a true worshiper, somebody who really loves and connects with God. And then your worship becomes true. When you truly worship from the heart, then your worship becomes true. So there's this story, this Jesus is going to engage with the enemy, he's going to have this sort of epic battle, but I, I sort of want to set the stage for this a little bit, it beca- and, and I want to start with, uh, by saying that this true worship that Jesus uh, engages in and that, he, that happens in the midst of this battle, there's a sort of pre-story, because this happens at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus has grown up, we, know, you know, we don't know much about Jesus' childhood, uh, but there's a story in there, you know, his birth, there's a little bit of a story about Jesus. And then he kind of shows up when he's 30 years old, and he gets baptized by John, uh, John the Baptist, and, and God speaks some epic words of love over him. And so if we're going to think about worship, the first thing we need to think about worship, if this passage is about worship, and worship happens in the midst of this battle, the first thing we need to realize is that worship is initiated by the heart of God. God loves us. So Jesus is baptized, and, he's a, and, uh, and when he's baptized, the Father says to him, you are my son whom I love, and in you I am well pleased. Jesus actually hears an audible voice, and the Spirit comes on him in the form of a dove. And it's this affirming, exhilarating, intimate. I mean, God is saying, I am with you. I have a plan for you. I am close to you. I love you. I am so pleased with you. It's, it's probably one of the most special experiences Jesus has in his human life. It's one of the most epic moments for Jesus. But it says the exact next verse is the one that, uh, that Roger just read, is that coming out of this experience, the Spirit of God leads Jesus into the desert, the wilderness. So God, who loves Jesus so much, who's so pleased with him, and he loves him so much, takes Jesus and he leads him. His spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. The, the Holy Spirit is initiating this, this true worship in Jesus. But, but again, it's been super affirming. It's been super loving and then, it, and it's been so comforting, it's been like a really safe place, Jesus coming out of the water, but suddenly he's been setting, sent into a place that's lonely, it's difficult physically, it's difficult emotionally, and, and what's God doing here? 
Why is the Spirit leading Jesus into this difficult, difficult place? Why would God, if He loves Jesus so much, why would He lead Him into this difficult place? Now, it appears that what God is doing, there's two things. One is, He loves Jesus so much, He wants to draw Jesus closer to Himself. And there are some things you can only learn in the hard place. There are some muscles that can only be developed when we exercise hard. And God pushes Jesus out into the wilderness because he wants Jesus to spend time with him, to become increasingly dependent and intimate with himself. So he draws Jesus closer to himself in the wilderness. But the other thing is that he knows that he's about to be engaged in this epic battle against evil, something that will change the course of history, and Jesus needs to be prepared. The one thing that we see about Jesus, he never rushed his preparation. Jesus never rushed through anything. So he goes out there and he takes his time. And it says that he fasts for 40 of the days. He's out there. And then he's been led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tested. The word tempted is kind of, it's, maybe the word is tested better. is a better maybe translation of that. Tested by the devil. So Jesus Jesus is in this difficult place, and then suddenly, at the end of it all, the devil comes right at him. And, and it's really interesting, so that true worship is initiated by God, but then true worship is then attacked by the enemy. There's a very real enemy. And it's very interesting when you look at the attacks that come from the enemy. At one level, they're, very, they're overwhelming and they're brutal. If you are the Son of God... Prove it to me. Prove If you are the Son of God. And it's interesting. He's gone right at this identity. God has spoken these words of love over him. You are my Son whom I love, and in you I am well pleased. And the devil goes right at it, like just brutally. If you're really the Son of God, let's see you, let's see you turn the stones into, but let's see you jump off the top of the temple. And he just goes at him just full force. But then there's a sort of subtle backlash, like if you, uh, like in the movie, well, actually in the book as well, the, the Belrog is cast down, but he whips, uh, he has a whip that he, he wraps around Gandalf's leg, and that's actually what pulls him down. And like the whip that run, wraps around Gandalf's leg, there's a more subtle temptation or a subtle set of temptations that are easily rationalized, but are also deeply destructive. The de- what the devil does is he comes to Jesus with things that I think are legitimate needs or things that are, are desirable. And he says, why don't you go for these things, but on my terms, not on God's terms. Why don't you, he, 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 you know, you, the first thing is turn stones to bread. Well, what's wrong with turning stones to bread? Jesus was probably hungry, Right? There's nothing inherently wrong about turning loaves into bread. And then Jesus, of course, you know, uh, like, of course, God had promised Jesus that he would care for him and love him. And, and the devil's like sort of taunting, will God really take care of you? And, you know, and, and there might have been this desire in Jesus to like prove that, yes, Jesus would take care of me, you know. And then, of course, you know, Jesus' heart was, heart was to change the world. And the enemy comes, the Satan comes to him and he says, Man, if you, if, you, if, you, if you bow down and worship me, think of the difference you can make. Think of the difference you can make. You can, and don't worry about the cross. Don't worry about dying. Don't worry about suffering. 
bow down and worship me, and I, I will give you the keys to some power and some influence. I, I have a plan for your life, too. And these things aren't bad in themselves. And like most temptations to compromise our worship, again, in and of themselves, we're often tempted to meet legitimate needs or good, we, we have good desires, but we're tempted to pursue these things on the devil's terms. We're, we're tempted to not trust God and wait for them on his terms. We substitute success for significance. But it's interesting, as Jesus is attacked by the enemy and as he's attempted with these good but sort of wrong-headed temptations, these sort of subtle temptations, Jesus fights back. And I think it's very interesting, he, he fights back with something I call the strange weapons of the Spirit. We tend to think of weapons as destructive but God has weapons, and Paul in the Bible often talks in this a lot of like spiritual warfare imagery. But if you look at the kinds of weapons that God has, they're life-giving, they're empowering, they're constructive, they're liberating, they're loving, they're joyful, they're peaceful. They bring reconciliation. These are sort of strange weapons that will change the world, and we believe change eternity forever. And, and so Jesus fights back against these temptations with what I would call the sort of strange weapons of the Spirit. And it's very, very interesting. So the first thing Jesus calls on is he just has a relentless hunger for God. He's been pulled into the desert, and, he's, and, he's, and God has drawn him in there. And, and, and when he's in the desert, he decides he's not going to eat. He's going to fast. He's going to exercise what we call a spiritual discipline. He's going to take time, and he is just going to completely spend time seeking the face of God. And there are different ways we can do this. I would, I would, Jesus was relentlessly hungry for God. This is one of the strange weapons he uses to fight off the enemy and to, and to grow into being a true worshiper. He's relentlessly hungry for God. And he... And he cre Create space in his life to encounter the presence of God. So he fasts while he's in the desert. He seeks the face of God. Now, it'd be interesting to talk about fasting. I'm not going to do that right now. But there are a lot of different ways we can create space for God to work in our lives. There, there are lots of different things we can do to pursue God's presence and power and preparation. Coming to church, what we're doing right now. This is, you've put yourself in a position tonight to, to allow God to work in your life. You can show up at an alpha course. You could go to a Freedom in Christ course. Might, the Bible lab could be a place. You go, you do something, an activity or, or something, and you create space in your life for God to work. Um, Sabbath. You know, God gave us the gift of Sabbath, and sometimes we're so busy and we're so tired, but God wants to work in our lives, but we're running so hard and collapsing, running so hard and collapsing that we don't have space, and God wants us to rest. Um, you, you can listen to music. Um, you can get into a small group. You can get into a prayer triplet. Um, prayer, of course, is an obvious way to spend time. Like, just creating space in your life for God to work. Um, service to the poor. It says, if we, whenever we, um, it says, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done unto Jesus. So if you want to encounter the presence of God, actually serving those who are the least of these is a way to encounter the presence of God. So there's so many different ways we can encounter the presence of God, and it's obvious that Jesus had exercised one of, the, one of them, which was Scripture. 
Jesus was steeped in Scripture. He had, uh, it, Jesus is so rooted and he's so steeped in the Scriptures that when the devil comes at him, he can just, he can just respond. And even when the devil tries to twist Scripture, Jesus just understands the flow and who God is, and he's just able to respond. He's able, when he is under pressure, Jesus is able to lean into God's trustworthy and reliable words. Are you spending time, are you like Jesus? Do you have a relentless hunger for God? Are you creating space in your life? If you're here, you are. That's amazing. And so God wants to continue to say, hey, continue to create space in your life for me. And you can do this through a myriad of ways of just creating space in your life to pursue the presence of God. The next thing that's interesting is that in response to the second temptation, temptation, Jesus leans into the love of the Father. What's really, really interesting is that the devil twice says, if you are the Son of God, then blah, 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 blah. Jesus doesn't even countenance this. He doesn't even give a direct response to this. God had spoken this over him. He had just had an experience with this, and Jesus just stands firm. He is not going to let the devil undermine his relationship with God. God has told him, I love you. I care about you. You are my child. I am leaning. And this is a true, this is true for us. He loves us. He delights in us. He cares for us. And he's just, Jesus just doesn't even countenance this. He just pushes past this. Doesn't he? And, and there are times in our life when uh, sometimes we need God to just kind of reaffirm us. But sometimes I feel like I pr- I've prayed in my life and God is like, you know the truth. You need, to just, you need to just stand on that. I have spoken this over you. I have called you. The Son of God had two parts of it. One was his relationship to the Father. The other part of it was um, his destiny as being God's, uh, God's uh, representative, like a sort of redemptive uh, uh, presence on earth. And, and God had spoken this over him and with great delight. And, and, and again, sometimes in my life, I've tried to like ask God, oh God, can you just give me another encouragement or another affirmation? And sometimes I have felt like God says, no, you know. Do, let's, let's, let's have this conversation again. You're loved, you're called, I'm with you, you can do this. You can do this. I'm with you. It's a, it's a lie. It is a do, do not listen to the lie anymore. We're not even going to talk about the lie. That is a lie. You need to move forward. Again, I know that there are times when we, we need our brothers and sisters, other people just to encourage us, affirm us. But sometimes there is a truth that we are loved and that God is with us. And we just need to hang on to that and not let the enemy undermine that in any single way. But of course, you know, there's this final temptation. And the final temptation is, Jesus, think about all the good you can do if you'll just worship me, if you'll do things my way. You can have it all, Jesus. You can have everything you want. Just do it my way. This is sort of looking ahead to the cross. If you guys remember, if you guys know the story, Jesus, before he went to the cross, said, God, if there's any way, Lord, I I want an escape route. Is there any other way out of this? I don't want to die on the cross. I don't want to do this. It looks too scary. It's too painful. Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Lord, I don't want this. Jesus was looking for a different way to do things. But then he says, Lord, but not my will. If there's no other way, I'm going to do this then. 
I'm going I'm to submit to you. I'm going to surrender my life to you, my desires, my passions, my, and, and my fears, and I'm going to do this for you, uh, do this for the Father. And, and Jesus does surrender. And, but the devil's, you know, this is sort of a, a temptation to like, to have the influence and the power. Just think of all the good you can do, Jesus. If you'll just, you don't need to go the way of the cross. But Jesus says no. He's not going to bow down to the enemy. He's not going to compromise. He's not going to try to achieve good ends the wrong way. I mean, I feel like, man, this can speak to so many different levels. Obviously, in our current political situations and everything, there are so many people, it seems to me, trying to accomplish good things the wrong way. You know, and you're just like, man, can't we just all speak with integrity? Can't we all just talk to each other? Can't we just call a spade a spade and just call good good and evil evil? And, and just have grown-up conversations about things. Jesus is the source of life. Uh, I believe that uh, it says that we, we can have life, we can have life in all its fullness. But there's a very real sense in which we have to surrender everything to Jesus to get there. Now, if you think of God as some sort of, like, you know, if we think God is just a way to get happy, there's a sort of sense in which that's true, but there's a sort of sense in which it's not quite true. We, we, uh, we don't just use God to get what we want. It's not about us getting what we want or what we think life is. At some level, we have to come to God and we have to say, Lord, you love me, you care about me, you created me, you died for me, and I am gonna, I'm going to live my life surrendered to you. You know the relation, Lord, I long for love. I long for friendships. I, long, I, I want to have a good family. I want, Lord, I want to do something significant with my life. Lord, I'm willing to pursue those things on your terms. I surrender my life to you. I will pursue those things on your terms. I will not compromise. I will not, and, and sometimes we have to say no to things. We have to let things go. And say, Jesus, I'm going to surrender everything I have to you. And it's interesting, as we're, as we're going through this talk, you know, we started off with this epic battle and this sign of true worship that happens, this epic battle. But of course, here we are back at the cross. We're back at the cross with these words, true worship, next to it. The cross speaks to us of God's love. And it speaks to us that God we can trust that we both need to surrender totally, but that this is the God who has given everything for us, and can we not trust him with all of that we have? If he has given all of himself to us, can we not trust him? I pray that today you too will become a true worshiper.